Hello you awesome beings, welcome to Things I Wish I'd Known. This podcast is a love letter to my younger self of all the things I wish I'd known before I had deep issues with my mental health and my spiritual awakening. I hope you enjoy listening. Why not head to my website and purchase the new Live From Lockdown, seven guided meditations and gong meditations for your listening pleasure. Use the code TIWIK15, T-I-W-I-K-15, to get 15% off now. Hello and welcome to Things I Wish I'd Known with your host, Rachel, the founder of Welford Wellbeing. Today I am here with an incredible man, someone I'm very grateful to have in my life, Kevin Hempstead. He is an incredible therapist. He specializes in not only addiction, but abuse and especially childhood sexual abuse. And he's also the owner of an incredible, beautiful space in Hackneywick in London called A Balanced Life, where not only he runs therapy sessions from, but also men's groups. And there's a variety of other therapies that happen there as well. Hi, Kev. Welcome on the podcast. I'm so happy to have you here. Yeah, honestly, it's such a pleasure to be on. I listen every time you're on and it's, yeah, you've had some amazing guests. It's, it's such a high thing to live up to. So very oh, nervous. <laughs> don't be nervous. <laughs> you've got so much wisdom. I just can't wait to share it with all the listeners. So I'm really Thank pleased you. to have you here. So today we're going to be talking about gaslighting. And I know the term gaslighting came from a film and essentially the dictionary definition of gaslighting somebody if people don't know what this term means is to manipulate somebody by psychological means into doubting their own sanity so can you just elaborate a little bit more on this as to what gaslighting is and how it might show up in I don't know interactions with people relationships all that kind of thing and how it plays out in your work yeah, it's kind of really subtle. This is the big thing in this. It's such a subtle kind of manipulation and sort of slowly but surely breaking down someone's confidence, their self-belief, their self-esteem and getting them to believe that the kind of perpetrator's insecurities and weaknesses are their own. So it's a real subtle kind of wearing down over a period of time where confidence levels will really kind of become nothing. And then whoever is kind of on the receiving end will become usually codependent of the person who's doing it to them. You know, it's usually a real narcissistic way of brainwashing. It's, it's a real kind of manipulation of someone's life. And it, it's so subtle. And, you know, it's something that's not kind of vocal enough in my opinion and it can change so many people's lives devastate people's lives men and women you know I suppose from a men's perspective it's something a man would maybe not admit especially if it's happening in a relationship with a woman because they will they'll see themselves as being weak and kind of not being able to cope with this and would be terrified of being judged and this is something that we need to highlight. Obviously, you know, it's happening within women as well. And it's happened for so many years. But the Me Too campaign's kind of highlighting this and making it more aware. But very much like suicide, males are finding it so difficult to find their voice within this and sitting with it. Mm, I think that's really interesting, actually, what you've said about finding your voice. And I know my experience from my own mental health journey and things like that, you know, when your self-esteem is really low and your confidence is really low, 
even being able to reach out and say, I'm struggling is really difficult. So I imagine, you know, I don't think I've had, I guess I've had probably on a, on a subtle scale gaslighting done to me. I imagine everybody can, can relate to that. There's been at least one episode in my life where I can think somebody that was in my life that was kind of putting everything on me all the time. And you know, when you, you question yourself and you're thinking, hang on a minute, no, that isn't, that isn't how it was or is it and then you start really questioning yourself so I imagine the barriers to this are a people don't realize it's happening until they're kind of in it and by the time they're in it they're questioning themselves so much anyway they don't know how to get help or whether it is their fault or they've like you say steeped in this kind of weakness of not being able to cope that they think it's their fault and that then breeds the shame so how do people kind of get out of that cycle you know it's such a difficult one and it's reaching out and and talking about it to someone else and usually friends and family around will be seeing this and may mention this but you're so deeply into it you just cannot see it yourself and that's the key you know that it's it's very much like within abuse where you're manipulated to believe that they're loving and caring and really got your best interests at heart so why would they hurt you and that's the brainwashing part of it. You know, we're here to help you. We're here to support you. You know, if only you changed that, then that would make you such a better person. It'd make our life so much better because you know I love you so much. Those sort of statements that, that would really draw you in and go, oh my God, this person really does care for me. Especially if you've come in, into the relationship with a few insecurities, maybe haven't experienced the love and the care in a nurturing way in other relationships or maybe within childhood. This can seem, oh my God, this person's my world. They're giving me so much. Yet slowly but surely they're taking each part of you away because they need you more than you need them. That's really interesting. Where do you see this playing out the most, like in your work? It's very interesting, but it can touch sometimes within, it can touch some addictions because obviously whilst you're using these coping mechanisms, you become very manipulative to get what you need and what you want and make others believe it's their fault. You know, I'm only drinking because of you. I'm only having to work so many hours because of you. I'm having to get fit and look this way because of you. Whatever it may be, it's those Mm. little manipulations, you know, and it's when you're feeling good, that confidence there, you know, you may feel a million dollars, you look in the mirror, you think, oh, I look really good today. And all of a sudden, you know, oh, you're looking a little bit fat in there. Are they a little bit tight? Have you put on weight? It's all of a sudden your bubbles burst. They've got you back to being where they need you to be because they're so fearful of losing you. Mm. Yeah, it's an interesting topic, isn't it? Do you think people that are the perpetrators of gaslighting, so the people that are doing the manipulation, do you think they're always aware of what they're doing? Or do you yes. think sometime now they are? Yeah, I believe they really are. Because, you know, they'll come with their own, it may be come from a narcissistic kind of point of view, and it may come in from that real deep, deep inset insecurity themselves. That's the way they need to cope with it. You know, they're terrified that this person may leave them. So they're making that person so dependent, so codependent on them, that they believe that they can't function without them. Mm. That they, they've, got, they've always got their best interests at heart. But slowly but surely over a period of time, you know, taking them away from their families, taking them away from their friends, really drawing them out and getting them to just the two of them. And then they feel really safe because there's no fear that they may leave them to someone else. 
So do you think a lot of this stems from abandonment issues or those kind of things in terms of the perpetrators? And do you think that there's any help? You know, it could be... It could be abandonment, it could be attachment, it could be all sorts of things that have taken it away, but there'll, there'll be an underlying insecurity. may have been that you've been told that you were useless, you were no good yourself through the years. It may be that you come from a, being bullied or abused, maybe. And it's that way of, I need to take control, I need to be in power. You know, if we look at, say, some addictions, it's the only thing that we get something that we can control. And this in that relationship, this is something I can control. I can control this other person. I will be in control of this. This will then make sure that I don't feel weak. I don't feel insecure. But to be the other side of that, slowly but surely, your entire life is taken away from you. You're frightened then to talk, you know. It may be a real, you'll be out, you'll be having fun with a group of friends. And it may be, you, you know, you have that conversation that, that's gone on a little bit longer than the person you're with wants it to go on. It's why are you talking to them? They don't like you. They only use you, blah, blah, blah. And slowly, because that insecurity that you're having fun, other people in your life, and that part of you that you can't meet that is then highlighted. It's interesting, isn't it? Because some of the sentences that you're using, you could potentially see as being helpful, right? Like, oh, those people that you're yeah. hanging out with, you know, so it's quite, it is, a, you can see how this can be a very complex situation because actually on the one hand, those kind of sentences with the right meaning and the right intention behind them could actually be very helpful in helping somebody get over confidence issues or build their self-esteem. Absolutely. But if they're being used in a manipulative way. Yeah. And actually, that's not true. And, and the people that you're being told are, you know, don't have your best interests at heart are the ones that do. You end yeah. up trapped in this weird pseudo reality. Absolutely. You're in this bubble that you're not sure. Your whole mindset, everything you know, you lose faith in. You lose faith in your own thoughts, your own actions, in fact, in your own body. Every part of it, you've lost that faith in because slowly but surely it's being taken away from you. You know, and it is, it, then that person wants to be that, that home, only person in your life, especially if, say, you may be close to your parents or, you know, or a sibling. And they're so jealous of that relationship, slowly but surely, or exactly as you said, those phrases and those words where, oh, they really are caring for me. Look, they're making me aware of this, what I haven't seen. Yet, realistically, it's just bringing them more in control of your life and everything you do. Mm. So how did you get into becoming a therapist and, you know, specialising in addiction and gaslighting and all these amazing topics that you work with? So I kind of, I was an addict. <laughs> Basically, you know, I had lots in my life growing up that I, I couldn't cope with. Lots of stuff where I couldn't find my voice in. I'd become a chronic people pleaser, a real chameleon, where I'd be whatever you wanted me to be, just so I fitted in, just so I felt part of. And my coping mechanism was drinking drugs. That helped quiet my mind, make me feel a little bit more secure until my solution became a bigger problem than the original problem. And then, so I'm in sobriety now. I'll be 15 years clean in April. 
Congratulations. Um, thank you. That's where the journey started. I had some great people in my life. I had a best friend who had kind of ventured from the world I lived in into the rooms and kind of did a journey and did some workshops that I thought, okay, this is worth trying. And then when I did these workshops, it took me off and the addict in me sent me on this spiraling journey of traveling all over the world, you know, India, America, Italy, kind of chasing workshops. The new addiction had become self-development, self-growth. But and I probably did far too much too soon. But also along that time, I started, went back to college and started to train to be a therapist. My sister went back to do a course. I wanted to spend some time with my sister. I, you know, I loved education as a child. And growing up, kind of wanting to be educated was a bit of a crime. Mm. So I kind of had to hide that. And that led to bullying. And then it led to me to kind of get involved with people that I felt safe with so that I wasn't bullied basically and then that kind of undid a big lifestyle there how can I just ask like how did that affect you because I definitely had that at my school as well like it was not cool to be intelligent it was not cool to study it was like almost the least effort you put in the cooler you were (laughs) you know it's like no one really wanted to be there and it was kind of you know and I was quite bright really luckily because I really bought into that whole story as well of like, you know, I just wanted to go and have a, sorry, mum and dad, just wanted to go and have a cigarette at the back of the field <laughs> or whatever and not actually, you know, really study. And I was quite lucky because I still got pretty good grades and stuff like that. And I think similar to you, I would sort of study at home. Yeah. And because I quite enjoyed it. And even now I do a lot of courses and self-development. I'm all, I, I enjoy learning. How did that affect you? You know, growing you know, up, like wanting to learn and not feeling that you had the... Well, there was this kind of constant battle because I had a mum who, from an early age, taught me to read, write, my times tables. So I went to school kind of quite advanced to all the other kids. Mm. And I had a dad who wanted me to be perfect and have this perfect education and go on to kind of complete everything. So indoors, it was pushing that education. Yet in school, very much like you, it was the least you do, the more you fit in. So that was my real battle. And I loved to kind of be educated. So I sneaked back for classes and that's where I got bullied and kind of, I then kind of get in with a group of friends and say, I'll do your own work. It's all right, I'll do that. We can then, we can all go out and do this together. So kind of made it a way where I could get myself educated, but fit in as well. Mm. And it's that people pleaser was born at a very early age. And my mum and dad used to take us along to working men's clubs in them days. And they, they you know, used to have parties and family gatherings. And I'd, uh, they'd give me snowballs, which was an avocado with lemonade. And there was yeah. something about around about the age of 10 or 11 that, wow, I had far too many of them. And I felt really lightheaded, but I didn't have a care in the world. And mm. that was where that addiction to drink was probably born. You know, that mm. was that this will fix my feelings. This will take away what I'm going through. This will take away my fears and anxieties. And that's where it kind of develops. As I say, that was, it was a perfect solution at such an early age. It's very interesting, isn't it? I've really, since, you know, I got primarily sober. Um, it's really hard with the sobriety thing because I don't quite know where I fit. You know, like I barely drink at all ever, but I'm not. I do drink very occasionally and I know that's not an option for everyone. So I don't know, but through my sort of sobriety journey, like yesterday I was just nipped into a shop on the way to set up for a gong bath that I was running. And there was a a young boy, he must've been about nine or 10 years old and his mum, and they were in front of me in the queue, you know, while I was waiting to pay. And she was, I don't know what she was buying now, but the thing that caught my 
ER and made me sort of pay attention was the fact that she was saying to this really young child, oh, there's loads of different types of alcohol and, you know, when you get a bit older, you'll be able to pick which ones you like, you know, there's and she was telling him about all these different types of alcohol and what the effects were and, and that he would need to pick you know, which one he enjoyed and he'd probably have to plough through a lot. And they, and it was all a light-hearted conversation. Don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to like demonise her as a mother or anything like that. It was just, I realised how I would have these similar conversations when yeah. I was drinking and how actually when you, when you step out of that bubble of alcoholism, well, I don't even want to say alcoholism. I don't, I wasn't necessarily an addict. Obviously I stopped from my mental health, but you get this whole new perspective on alcohol that you've never had before. Yeah. And I just thought, why are we even talking to a 10-year-old? Why does he even, or not, you know, nine, 10-year-old, why does he even need to know yeah. what alcohol is? Let alone, it's like we're sort of briefing you. Oh, you're going to get really drunk. And she was saying things like, you know, you'll probably try one or two and you'll be ill because you'll drink too much, but eventually you'll find the one that you love. And it was like, wow we're like you know priming these kids and they're all sort of laughing about it and stuff and I and historically as well I put my hands up that's the kind of conversation that I would have giggled at as well and probably joined in with but now I have this whole other perspective where I'm like wow why are we saying that stuff to our kids and it's so important right you see it's such an important point because if you think all our learning skills we we learn within our first eight years of life you know, how to get our needs met, how to get that love, that affection we need, um, where if our voice is important, if it's okay for it to be heard or if we, we feel we need to be silent. And then we take on these kind of self-defeating beliefs, I suppose, along the line as well. You know, so many things that we believe about ourselves and we believe that we have to do or we need to do that we're conditioned to fit in depending how we're born and what cultures we're born into. And it's so fascinating then that how that can affect us so clearly in later life and we're not even aware of where that was born. Mm. You know, and these are the things where as we play out over life, we can get lost and wrapped up in, in those conversations. I'm always aware Christmas, you know, it's, it becomes this whole let's get drunk festival. Mm. And as being a non-drinker, you know, I'm lucky I've got a few years under my belt, but there's, there's that whole thing of, Everything, you know, socially, everything is geared around, let's have a drink. You know, start a new relationship. Oh, can I take you for a drink? Mm. You know, it's that everything is culturally, we, we're rolled around, oh, let's have a drink, you know. Oh, I've, you know, someone's just died. Oh, let's have a drink. Oh, are you sure you're okay? Or, you know, my partner's just left me. Oh, let's have a drink. We talk about it. It's always mm. kind of that we've, we've poured into that whole belief that this is the way we fix ourselves this is the way we deal with our feelings we taught that from such an early age and that's you know it works on some level for some people but for others it can then just spiral out of control you know for myself there's still coping mechanisms that i can use yeah do you think that feeds into gaslighting as well well, I think that insecurity of, of someone who's grown up, say, maybe in an unloving kind of childhood or may have been brought up away from their parents, may only have one parent who's really had to work hard to make everything balance and maybe doesn't have the time to really give that love and affection on all levels. And that, wow, I'm so terrified you're going to leave me. But kind of buys into that whole attachment theory, doesn't it? You know, mm. where 
we're so fearful of losing that who loves us will become whatever you want just so you stay. Mm. And there's a little subtlety in this where it's turned on its head and it's, I will ensure that they don't leave me. They're going to want me so much. They're going to need me so much. They're going to think that without me, they can't live. Therefore I will be safe. And so do you think that that's more the perpetrator or the victim is more likely to have that sort of behavior? Perpetrator. All yeah. the time, yeah, because, you know, it, the victim, first of all, it's just that, oh, my God, I, I fell in love with this person. Look, they're looking after me. They're, they're sharing me with everything I've ever wanted. They really are protecting me. So there can be that little bit as well where a very vulnerable childhood would lead you into that as the victim. So mm. th- th- there's, there's two ways this can play out, you know. But everything's changeable. Everything in our lives we can change. And it's us building up enough confidence in ourselves to say it's okay to be ourselves mm. it's quite interesting in therapy i kind of lots of times we, we explore who am i and yeah. for most clients they're terrified by that statement oh my god i don't know who i am i'm a certain age and i don't even know but i think that's really exciting we've got this huge blank canvas we can throw colors at kind of do whatever we need to to find out who we are you know i know for myself i was terrified to listen to classical music terrified i didn't want any friends to know that i might listen to classical music because i thought i was frightened of being judged and yeah <laughs> you know and it was only in my 40s i thought you know i'm gonna give this a pass still don't know what i'm listening I'm to i'm gonna try chopin yeah. <laughs> honestly even now i don't even know what i'm listening to but i know i find it quite calming it's quite soothing that along with meditation music i can happily sit and do my work to you know and, mm. and so music has always been a big key for me it's something i could lose myself in it's something else that i could fix my feelings on because mm. kind of really submerge myself but that was really healthy you know that whole kind of passion for music and moving forward and that that gave me a, a real way out growing up so oh, completely i mean obviously as a sound therapist you know i'm a huge passion for the healing benefits of music and even like this morning i went for a run and i thought i'll try a different playlist because i've got this playlist that i've made you know that's like called it bangers and running it's just pure (laughs) bangers it's so good but i thought no i'm gonna mix it up i'm gonna try a different playlist i just couldn't get into it i couldn't get the rhythm and i was like right back to my old playlist i'll just put it on never gets it's so interesting because it feels safe yeah. You know, it feels so, so safe within that. And I, I've had the pleasure of being at many of your gong baths. Oh, my God, you've taken me on some amazing journeys with sand. You know, mm-hmm. but it's interesting, isn't it, that we can be in a situation that's really quite harmful to us, really kind of not safe at all, but we'll stay with it because we know it's safe. You know, I've shared this story with you, and I'll happily share it now, that I, I worked with this amazing young girl when I worked in a home with rehab. And she was, her wisdom was way beyond her years. And, you know, she'd, she'd been on a real journey of life. And she was only 16, I think, 16, 17. And what she said to me, we sat there one day in a group and she said, and I said I would always quote her when I said this, so hence the story before. And I'm not breaking her confidentiality within this because we shared that this would be okay. But she said to me, you know what, Kev, shit stinks, but it's warm. Mm. And if we think about it, that's so much of where these situations, especially in that gaslighting situation, we're covered in shit. We don't want that shit. We don't want it all over us. It's really, no, it's not attractive. It's not what we need. But it's so difficult to wash it off because it's warm and we know it and we understand it. 
Mm. And I think that plays out in so many areas of life as well, not just addictions and gaslighting and things like that. But absolutely, even in terms of like mindset, you know, a lot of the work that I've had to do both with reprogramming my own brain around depression and anxiety, but also with my clients, a lot of it is that I've always thought this about myself. Yeah. So even if there's a little part of them that knows I am a loving, kind, compassionate, incredible being, there's that other part that's going, you're, you're stupid, yep. you're too fat, you're too yep. loud, you're not good enough, you know, Absolutely. whatever. And because they've been telling themselves that story subconsciously, and it's programmed into them for so long, when they start saying, I love myself, they feel like a fraud. Absolutely. It feels like this isn't true. This is, there's, you know, and it takes a while to kind of reprogram this stuff. And I think, you know, that is really true. You know, it might not be the most beautiful analogy, shit stinks, but it's warm, but it, it makes complete sense in the sense. It really you know, does. You know, if we've read that in any therapy book, we would have been blown away by that, that yeah. whole statement. You know, if it had been written by Jung or Freud or kind of Rogers or someone like that. I think they oh might my have God. phrased it slightly differently. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I quite like it as it is. <laughs> you know me, Rachel, I've got that East End in me that's never going to leave. Right. And it's I know, kind of, that's, 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 <laughs> I love that analogy. You know, it kind of suits my way of wording and thinking. But it is, it's so true. And this can be other beliefs that we've been given you know, through our childhood, exactly what you said, you've been told, oh, what, you know, get yourself fit, you're too fat, or why do you look that way, or you'll never amount to anything, you're not intelligent, why are you always late? And we don't know what people are bringing, but those words and those statements can stay with us our whole life and actually play out for our life, meaning that we, we, we kind of act in certain ways just through those statements subconsciously. Mm, completely. You've answered quite a lot of the questions as we've been going through, but I'd really love to know what's been your biggest learning in, you know, through your work and kind of learning about gaslighting and addictions and through your work as a therapist so far? You know, I think the most enlightening thing, and I suppose I had a great, I had an amazing counselling teacher who unfortunately died, but God, she was so wise and she, she led me in loads of other directions as well as the counselling. But I watched her and I watched her live out her life and she held, you know, she identified her weaknesses and was able to kind of see where those were. But I think we're all on exactly the same path. We're all experiencing the same things in different ways. We're all having lives there, but we don't talk to each other. Mm. You know, we're so fearful of being judged or kind of being fingers pointed at us that we don't speak openly and honestly about what is actually happening in our lives and, and that's the biggest thing you know within anything and that's why for me you know you think in therapy when do we give ourselves an hour just to talk about ourselves mm. and our own problems and what's happening truthfully without fear of judgment without fear of you know being really opened up and someone pointing a finger later on at us and this is what also happens within that gaslighting scenario is we open up to that person, we give them our innermost secrets and then they're manipulated to be used against us. Mm, I think that's a really good point to put across as well is, you know, this is one of the reasons I've, and still, I'm a huge advocate, people probably already know of the Samaritans and I've used them a lot yeah. in my life, you know. And one day when I rang up, I can't, I think the woman's name was Karen. I don't know, even know if they use their real names, but you know, and she said to me, well, I'm not going to ring you back next Tuesday and ask you how you get, because I said to her, I don't know why I can, 
I don't know why I ring you and I don't ring, say, like my mum or any of my friends or my dad or like, you know, I've got so such a huge support network. But when I'm in that panic and that really, really low, you know, suicidal, horrible space, I can't ring any of them. And she yeah. was like, well, I'm never going to ring you back and ask you how you are or the next yeah. day if you feel better, I'm not going to be worried about you and treading on eggshells and trying to make sure yeah. that you're okay. She's like you know, you can just ring us, offload and put the phone down and that's that. You don't have to. And I thought that really is some of the, you know, some of the biggest power of therapy, I think. Absolutely. It's that, you know, you can offload, you can say whatever you think without worrying about upsetting anyone, without worrying about judgment, without the, sh- you know, and even with shame, you know, shame is such an insidious emotion that I think we all carry to some yeah. form. And when we talk, it literally shame hides in the shadows. And when you can talk about yeah. something, it really diminishes that, that emotion in the body. And I think that is a really important one to try and quash if you can and work through because it, it's just such a low vibe. Emotion. It really is. It's less than and 200 you, on the log scale. I mean, it's just really damaging. It's so, so damaging. And that sh- it is the fear of being shamed. We don't talk about so much. You know, we, we're quite suppressed, you know, mm. as a nation. We're so suppressed as, to talk about our innermost feelings and, you know, and suicide rates going through the roof where people are, you know, are not expressing, they're not talking, we're not opening up. And, you know, we've both worked together with the Young People Charity mm. where we're encouraging these young people to talk, if not to us, to themselves, to kind mm. of build communities, to have people you can trust and you can open up to and saying it's okay to share your feelings, it's okay to express where you're going through and your emotions. Mm. And young people have such a wonderfully powerful voice. What I love about where I work is a high percentage of kind of young clientele who are so awake. They're doing everything I wish I had the courage to do at that age. And I admire and am being inspired by them because they'll come, they'll talk, they'll open up, they'll try to move forward. They're experimenting with therapies on all levels. They're bringing east to west, I suppose, and it's kind of like real, a real transition. And, they, you know, this younger generation excites me. Their voice needs to be heard from climate mm. all the way up. I agree. I think it's really exciting. And I think actually having the internet has just blown open you know, the world in one sense, because knowledge that would have needed to be passed down through elders to whoever, you know, in a specific order can now be accessed really with the click of a button. That's not to say that, you know, we should just go and poach everyone's (laughs) everyone's (laughs) cultures and all that stuff. But, you know, realistically, you can, knowledge is everywhere now. Absolutely. And I think what I found really interesting, I read, I'm trying to think where I read this, and, and it was saying knowledge is no longer power because knowledge is everywhere. It's wisdom, true wisdom, yeah. where the power yeah. is. And I think that wisdom comes from, you know, applied knowledge. Yes. There's no point knowing something if you're not going to do anything about it. And also that wisdom of like your core truth. Absolutely. And following that core, core truth over pretty much anything if I'm honest like the more that I can stay I always know when I've gone off, <laughs> off path because I start to feel really out of kilter and then when I come back to it I'm like oh I've been yes. denying my truth a little bit here okay I need to I need to reclaim that back and you're so right you know 
you inspire me because I've watched you and watched your journey and you are, you're inspirational on so many levels because you, like me, believe you can't get this just by reading books. It don't then just happen. You have to live it. You know, it's okay doing it. It's like, I get a lot of people who go at me, oh, you know, AA don't work. These, these 12 step men don't work. Nothing works unless you work. Have you done the steps though? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I've done no but I mean I know you've done your steps but I know a lot of people that have done you know step one two three or whatever and then they're like oh I've done my steps and you're like I'm cured yeah (laughs) yeah and you know for me I didn't do my steps until I was a long way in I was at least three four years in and I was going to do it my way I thought I knew better you know this this has only been about forever and yet I thought I knew better and I could do it a different way because I was on this wonderfully spiritual path my ego was oh god I was so far up my own arse it was unbelievable (laughs) it it was a huge wake-up call you know is that no there is another way it's when I'm in my will as my will showed me I am in a lot of danger (laughs) <laughs> when I kind of hand it over and I share and, the, you know, you find other people to share your journey with. The greatest gift for me was walking into my first meeting, which I was really manipulated to go to. I thought I was going to support someone else. It was really, <laughs> really kind of, and I sat there and I was full of judgment. I remember I sat there, judged everyone in the room, wouldn't even have a cup of tea. I was just sitting there, oh my God, get me out. And I sat and I listened and it, that was the greatest gift anyone ever gave me. I listened. Mm. And I heard my own story from about 10 different people. And then one woman stood up and she told me my entire life story, but it was hers. Mm. And I thought, wow, I am not alone in this. I'm not as mad as I think I am. Someone else is experiencing this. This is not a unique experience. And, this and that's when half, I went and got my first kind of thing. You know, I got my first key ring. Half the battle is everything, isn't it? You know, yeah. and it's one, of the, one of the main reasons that I love what I'm building with, you know, clear community with our Facebook community, with the Instagram community, like with the events that we run, people come and people share and you're not alone, you know? And actually, even if you feel alone, I know like when I got my diagnosis and everything for, for many years before I got my diagnosis of depression, anxiety, I felt so alone. I thought nobody would understand. I didn't realize what was wrong with me. And it was really lonely and it's painful and you don't, and you're wandering around consistently afraid that you're going to get found out and that if people find you out, they're not going to love you anymore and you, you know, or whatever. And, and this all plays out consistently in the background. It's just so, so damaging. And I think actually when people come together and they realize, Oh my God, I'm not alone. Other people feel the same way as I do. There's all these amazing tools that we can use. If you use them, they work. I use an analogy actually in my, based on what you were just saying about, you know, that the knowledge only works if, if you do something about it. In my Meditation Made Simple course, I ask people, you've got two options. You're going to get a ride somewhere with someone in a car. Option one is a guy and for five years, he has read every book there is to read on cars. He knows exactly how the engine works. He could literally build you a car from scratch. He knows all the ins and outs of the mechanics, everything, but he's never driven. Or another guy who literally knows nothing about cars, but drove every day for five years. Whose car would you rather get in? Yeah. And that is the, the, the thing, right? It's like meditation is, is an incredible tool, but only works if you bloody do it it's no point reading you know and i love reading if you ever come to anyone who's ever come to my house got boxes and boxes of books you know (laughs) i'm obsessed with self-development books but 
it's taking what you see in those books and actually applying it in your life that makes the difference. It really does. So I guess based on that, actually, what would be your, I don't even know if you can, you know, put it into this because it's quite a big subject, but you know, if someone's currently affected at the moment, they think they're being gaslighted, you know, either in a relationship or a friendship or I don't know, even at work, you know, this can play out all different kinds of situations. What would be your kind of guides, guidance to them? Like what advice would you give to them on how to improve their situation, how to get out of those and safeguard themselves? You know, the biggest one is to see that it's okay to step outside. And I think you touched so much on it. For most people in these relationships, the fear of them being alone Mm. is the thing that keeps them in it oh, where will I find someone else like this who's going to care for me or whatever? They may be saying this or whatever. So this is that manipulation. And it's just seeing it's okay. You won't be alone. You know, this is a big society. We're kind of creating for me this, I think our biggest epidemic in this country at the moment is is loneliness. Mm. And within it, we're no more. We're communal people. We love interaction. And we're slowly but surely, you know, Technology is amazing. It's taken us so many places, but it's also taken us away from communicating, from meeting, from kind of real verbalizing. You know, mm-hmm. relationships can be done on a flick of a kind of phone and it's everything's there rather than talking. Let's know the person. Let's understand the person. Let's see it's okay to be ourselves. Mm-hmm. And that fear of that is keeping us so trapped. And I think that's our biggest epidemic moving forward is that if we don't, if we're not careful, we will create this huge epidemic of loneliness and the people's fears will be so much more vulnerable then to abuse and abusive relationships. Mm. And it's knowing that it's okay. Voice this. Step out of this. You will be okay if you walk away from this. You do not have to put up with this. You're worth more than this. You as a person are worth more than this. You are unique. You are special. And that's what it is. You know, you're worth walking away from this. You don't have to settle for this just because you're fearful of being alone. Mm, And I think sometimes what we don't realise is how alone we are when we're with people. Absolutely. And I think that when you're in those kind of relationships that, you know, and especially if it's something that you've got used to, because maybe that's the only relationships you've ever known. You've not actually had many healthy relationships in your life, so you don't know what that looks like. No, because I know that I've definitely, you yeah. know, found that an interesting one. As I've as I've worked on my own personal growth, it's really affected my personal relationships because there's certain things that I just won't put up with now. And Absolutely. because I'm a chronic people pleaser, and I still, you know, that is a I don't know. I believe that's going to be a life lesson for me because I'm still yeah. ongoing with this. You know, actually, when you do put your boundaries down, sometimes people don't like it because they're Absolutely. used to you saying yes to everything. And so when you yeah. say no, they don't like it. But actually over time, you feel really empowered when you just state your ground. And lots of times it's not as bad as you think it's going to be. I had to have a phone call no. for my business this week and I was dreading it because I had to say no to something that I partially agreed to, but we hadn't really finalized the terms. And then I just thought my intuition's saying that nah, yeah. it's, it's not going to work. And actually we had a really beautiful open conversation where we were both able to just express ourselves freely and we both learned a lot from that interaction I wasn't kind of doing things feeling obliged you know and they were able to voice what they needed and and then we're both open to 
to get what we need, you know, but not necessarily from each other, but no one's missing out that way. So I think there's when we, again, that just comes down to like abundant, abundance mindset as well. You know, when we're in that space of lack, yes, you know, we fear that that's as good as it's going to get. And what if there's nothing else, but actually when we realize that the, the universe is infinite beyond belief, like beyond even what I can yeah. imagine then you realize that actually we're only limited by our own thinking absolutely that and you use the beautiful word the intuition when our body's alarm clock starts to ring then that's the that's the time to really mm. trust you and it's hard within those situations but trust yourself trust your body trust what it's telling you you know we, we've spoken lots about anger you know we've brought it to the young people where it's the greatest gift our body gives us it's our body's alarm clock we mm. don't like something but anger's got bad press. Oh, you mustn't be angry. You mustn't be this. You mustn't show that. And everything you just said there was so important, Rach, because it's where we just limit ourselves. We limit our growth. We lose our identity when we're in these relationships. Mm. We lose ourselves to such a level. And we think, you know, we become what that person wants us to be. They mold us. We may as well be a model, you know, mm. what they clay model that they're going to mold exactly how they want us to be. They're going to look this way, act this way, do these things. And we wasn't put on this earth to be beggars. You know, we don't have to beg for love, beg for attention, beg for cuddles, beg for acceptance. Mm. And we become beggars in those situations. You know, we're begging people to love us, to like us, to want us. We're not put on this earth to be beggars. No. We're put on this earth to live and to nurture and to grow and to blossom and to bring the joys of life that we all possess and just allow ourselves to be ourselves. That's enough. That's mm. more than enough. Yet we're so frightened to do it. So beautiful, so beautifully put. So what do you wish you'd known about (laughs) (laughs) gaslighting and addiction before you... You know, I I wish I'd known it was okay to be me. Mm. Wow, okay, let's just pause there. I want that to just set in for people. Can you just repeat that? just wanted to kind of see that it was okay to be me. That would have been the one thing I would love to have known. You know, it was okay just to be me. I didn't need to be anything other than me. Oh, man, that's so powerful. And it's such a big, 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 big subject, right? And it's such a simple thing to say, well, just be yourself. Yeah, but But how difficult is it? You know, it's really interesting just how when you start on this path and you become more self-aware, how many layers there are to that. Yeah. Like, who even am I? What even am I? That's my question a lot of the time. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I know lots of people think, wonder who they are. I wonder what I am. You know, am I just yeah. energy? Am I just like, yeah. how, how am I even in this form? And when people look at me, do I even look how I think I look? Like, when I look in the mirror and I see what I know is me, is yeah. that what you see when you see me? Because I don't know what uh, your, how your eyes like monitor this energy it's like what <laughs> it really is that oh my god it couldn't agree more you know it's but this human experience is it's difficult it's difficult yeah. on all levels you know we've been told reframe that actually i'm going to reframe that it's not difficult no it's just true but it's, it's it's a weird experience this human experience of all the conditioning all the beliefs all other people's kind of what they put on us and we take on board and we layer it up and layer it up and and we become, you know, anything to try and fit into these societies and do what we are. Culturally, we're told that, you know, it's amazing to do this, this, this and this. And what I've found is, it's, it's, for me, it's been the total opposite. 
you know, we've laughed about this now. I work here. I took on this office. I'm five minutes from where I live. I walk around here, a nice clientele. I've got lovely people who I work with, including you, who come in. We share. And I don't feel like I ever go to work. Mm. And it's just this most amazing thing. And I question sometimes, wow, this is such a passion for me. This is such a desire for me. This is me living me and onto such a lovely level. And that was nothing that I was told growing up. Mm. Yeah, it's pretty powerful stuff. So what are your tips for people to be them more themselves? What things did you learn? I think the greatest thing we can all learn about ourselves is to understand ourselves. Mm. Ask ourselves, what do we want? What do we need? What makes us happy? Mm. What, those, those questions we never ask ourselves. Mm. You know, what makes me happy? What do I like to listen to in the morning? What do I like to do? What really, really likes me? What do I like to wear? You know, this sometimes I can look in the mirror now and think, who dressed you? You know, but and I was so conscious. I used to get dressed and undressed a million times some nights when I was going out. And now I look and I go, wow, what happened there this morning? But I can laugh about it. You know, mm. I've just recently gone back into the gym. I am so vulnerable in that gym. It's incredible. But I'm allowing myself to be vulnerable and it's fun. I would never have done that before. I could mm. never have let anyone see that vulnerability in me because in case they saw me as weak or it would affect me on any level. Mm. But it's the greatest gift in the world, you know, just to be that vulnerable and just accept, you know, I'm vulnerable. Mm. And just accept these situations, you know, and whatever we are, wherever we is, we're okay. We're never really alone. Mm. No, that space of aloneness that me and you have both visited very often, yeah. it's the most beautiful, beautiful space. But unfortunately, it touches loneliness. And when we touch loneliness, we can then believe we're lonely, we're on our own, and oh my God, what will happen in the world? And, you know, many of us have this huge fear of dying, and it makes us forget to live. Mm. It's the only thing that's inevitable. We're going to die. We're all going to die. Yeah, that's what's going to happen. So if you accept that early on, then you, you, you can live your life. You can enjoy each day as it comes. Every day is a gift. You know, nicking my old mate Frank Harper's lovely saying where he said, 25 good summers. That's what I believe I've got left, and I'm going to enjoy every bloody one of them. Mm. You know, life's going to be me for these 25 summers. Where I end up, who knows? It's just, yeah. It's a bit scary when you think of it in that. Tense. Yeah, but I'm a lot older than you. <laughs> <laughs> I'll catch you up at some point. That's the only thing, right? <laughs> catch you but up. It, but it is, you know, and these are the things I wish I'd known. But, you know, I'm glad I didn't know them because. Everything I've experienced, the addiction, the drug taking, the drinking, everything, the bullying, the abuse, everything that I've experienced in life have made me the therapist that I am mm. because I haven't just read it out of books. I've lived it. So yeah. then why wouldn't I kind of be within those fields and feel quite comfortable within those fields because mm. I've lived all of these experiences. So what I saw as imperfections, I found a real true spirituality of those imperfections. Now they're my greatest gifts. Yeah. You know, and this was a man who was told by, for, since he was young, you had to be perfect and never could be because who can be? Yeah. And trying to be perfect then led me to think, wow, I failed. I have never failed. Perfection is also just such a funny thing, isn't it? Because it's totally dependent on like something that I think is perfect, you might yeah. hate. Yeah. Or something that you Absolutely. think is perfect, I might say no, needs a bit more work or whatever. It's it's like it's totally. Oh, I'm trying to think of the word. I'm, my brain's failing me. 
totally based on somebody else's perspective or your own perspective and, absolutely and that might never match so it's never yeah it's like art you know some people look at them i go oh my god that's a masterpiece i would go wow that's useless yeah you know it's, and that's life not I everyone's going to like it i won't say the artist i remember going to a I can't remember which art gallery it was. It was one of the main art galleries in London. And it was this very famous artist. And my friend was like a big fan. And I was just walking around going, this literally looks like what my nephew puts on the fridge. I was waiting to see one that had pasta stuck on it. Do you know what I mean? And I wasn't into it at all. But then I love like, I I always pronounce his name wrong, but there's a guy, is it Egon Schreider? Schreider? I don't know. Who does those mad pencil drawings. I love his work. But loads of people think that's, dire you know so it really yeah it's individual isn't it courses man it absolutely is you know it's just that whole concept of what we like and that's that's these these questions again we come back to Mm. our own identity what do we like what do we want what who am i who am i is the greatest question i love that question you know and long may i continue to explore who i am yeah because the day the day i don't explore i hope that it's the day they bury me oh well, hopefully that's not too soon. At least we've got 25 summers left. 25 good summers, right? <laughs> <laughs> so last thing, I guess, anything you wish that I'd asked you that I didn't ask or anything you want to want to feed back to the listeners? Yeah, you know, right. You've been such a gift in my life. But, you know, it was the greatest thing we met. And, you know, I suppose on the outside looking in, who would know that we would end up friends and kind of hang yeah, out together? It's, it's, it's a mad diverse bit. We do and we laugh and we joke and we smile and we go to these mad talks and kind of anything that's a way and it's an enjoyable little journey you know and it's just wonderful it's it's a little community that we've built between ourselves that's so safe to be in mm. and that's it find your tribe find your community find where you feel safe but that marianne williamson poem you know that i love you know our deepest fears i think should be on everyone's fridge you know mandela used it his inauguration it's kind of quoted to mandela quite a lot but marianne williamson wrote it and it is, you know, never be frightened to shine your own light because without your light, we're all in darkness. What a beautiful way to end. <laughs> Thanks, thank Ron. you so much for coming on and sharing your, your wisdom with us. Oh, thank you so much for bringing me on. absolute pleasure to speak to you. If people want to find you, what's the best way for them to, to find out more about you and your work or how they might be able to work with you? God, that's a big question because I don't look after none of it. <laughs> <laughs> You What's, know me. That's, that's have, you got a web, have you got a website? Yeah, the website's kevinemsleycancellor.com. Yeah, and we're based in Hackney I'll, Wick. Yeah, I'm bemused there, right? You know me. I'm, I'm not I'll very put, good at self-promoting. I'll put links. I'll put links underneath for everyone. Thank to you find so out. much. Yeah, it's a balanced life in Hackney Wick in London in the UK, and Kevin Hempstead Councillor is the website so i'm sure if you google him you'll be able to find him you also oh. offer online sessions right so if people are not in yeah, the absolutely. uk or they can't get to hackneywick they can still work yeah with you. yeah we were kind of found as many ways to to spread the word and help everyone as much as we can amazing well your work is needed in this world and i'm very grateful to have you on the podcast and to call you a friend as well so thank you for coming on and uh, I'll see but likewise you. i'll see you very soon likely see you very soon. <laughs> <laughs> take care bye my love bye now. bye If you enjoyed listening, why not leave us a review? It really does help other people to find this podcast and enjoy it too. Feel free to share it with friends and family members that you think it might be useful to. Thanks so much for listening. See you next time.